0: Well good morning, I'm Ben Davidson, I'm that guy that was on the screen, and uh, I'm still the executive pastor here at Bethany, at least as far as I know, but it's good to be with you this morning. I need to tell you that last night I fell asleep on the couch uh, watching football and had a very strange dream. We were here worshiping at Five Points, but Five Points had also rented the facility facility to another church as well, and so it was just chaos ensuing out here Um, Pastor Lyle Sutton, who's a pastor at Bethany Baptist Church, the church that planted us, was out in the hallway with a potato gun shooting t-shirts at people. (laughs) When I came up to preach, an African choir actually replaced me on the stage. Uh, The good news is they sounded really great. Bad news is it's not happening now. It's it's me. I'm preaching, so sorry about that. But, uh, you know, when you fall asleep on the couch, you never know what's going to come to your mind. Um, But I'm glad to be here to uh, share God's word uh, with you. You know, we're, we're in a new year now. I get to be the first sermon of, of 2015 at Bethany Community Church. You know, as we approach the new year, uh, we tend to think this sense of ah, you know, a new season, a new beginning, a time to start counting how many times you accidentally write 2014 instead of 2015. You know, a new year can bring a real sense of hope and optimism. Just think about change and and uh, starting fresh, a clean slate. For some of us, the new year, uh, we're very thankful for it because last year was a very hard year. Maybe it was because of the tornado or family strife or illness uh, in your life or in your family's life. So, you know, I think no matter what starting point we're at, whether a more optimistic starting point or a more pessimistic starting point, we all, I think, go into this new year wanting a better year, right? And I think that's, that's an okay thought to have. It can be an unhealthy one, but I think it's okay to be thinking, hey, I would love 2015. To be better than than 2014 was. And I think there's a a temptation to succumb to the cultural pressures around us sometimes that say, you know, hey, there's some secret things that you're missing out on that if you only applied these hidden principles, these keys, you would have a better year this year um, than last year. You know, our, our nature says if I could just figure out how to manage my finances or get better grades or drop a few pant sizes or find the right man or woman or just get organized... Or maybe to spiritualize it, um, I need to find the right devotional book, I can find the right Bible reading plan, memorize the right Bible verses, get motivated to go to the prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. There's all these types of things that we think, if I just had the hidden keys, I would be able to figure this out. And so there are books, and some of these I googled, um, hidden keys and secret, and uh, found some book titles that kind of feed the beast here a little bit. Hidden keys to loving relationships, hidden keys to life and business success. Hidden Keys to a Loving, Lasting Marriage. Some of these book titles are in Christian bookstores, on Christian book book sites. Um, The Secret to Generosity, The Secret to Happiness, Secret Food Cures, The Secret, What Great Leaders Know and Do, and my favorite, Secret Messages, Training a Happy Dog. So as as believers in Christ, uh, we can often often fall into the the same trap of trying to find the secrets to a happy life, can't we? Uh, We kind of laugh at some of these book titles, but... We're tempted to think, if I could just find the right method, if I could just find the right method, then my life would be fixed. But See, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is really a problem in our own hearts, a problem with our own thinking, our, our own theology. What do we really believe about who God is? And what is he like? Do we believe that the scriptures provide an all-sufficient, non-secretive answer to how to have a joy-filled years? 15. So again, it is a heart issue, not a method issue. So in our faulty thinking, we find ourselves looking for the secrets in life to bypass the clear joy that comes from Christ. So here's here's the big idea for today. The so-called secrets in life may lead you to temporary happiness, but only Christ can lead you to joy. The so-called secrets in life may lead you to temporary happiness. But only Christ can lead you to joy. So there are a few non-secrets, I'm going to call them, uh, that are clearly spelled out in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to it. If you want to grab a, a mobile device, we have the, this app called UVersion Bible that you can have access to the notes and read the scripture there as well. But if you wouldn't mind standing with me in honor to God and his word as we read the passage today. Again, it's Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You may have a seat, and let's pray uh, for our time in the word. Heavenly Father, as we come off of what could have been a busy holiday season, or for some maybe not, we just... uh, see afresh our need for you as we head into this new year so i ask that you would help me to be renewed in my mind and my thinking as i uh, share this message that you would help us all to be submissive to you and what you might have for us lord we know that you can provide change as a result of being in your word so god i ask that you would change me that you would change us this moment right now as we read your word and we pray this all in jesus name amen So these are the three non-secrets that lead us to joy, okay, in Philippians 4. Here's the first one. The first non-secret is to surrender yourself to Christ, verses 4 through 7. Surrender yourself to Christ. Let me look back at, at verse 4 here. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, I'll stop there, because some have said that this verse really represents the whole book of Philippians. To to be joyful would be the theme of the book of Philippians. So as we we talk about joy, we need to define that. What is joy? So I think some wrongly interpret it as an emotion, okay? But as you look at verse 4, it's a command Paul gives. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not, hey, if you have time, if you want to think about it, maybe you could consider being joyful. No, it's rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command. And, and so it's more than an emotion, it has to be. Because think about a, a dad maybe trying to take a picture of his kids at Christmas time and the kids are kind of nitpicking at each other and arguing and, and he's getting frustrated and he says, Stop it! Smile and be happy! You can't command that emotion. And they, oh, no, we're happy now, Dad. Thank you for the commendation. No, they're not going to be happy. You can't command an emotion. So joy can't fit in that category of an emotion. So let me give us some categories to talk about. Okay, first... It's um, feelings, and I'm going to define that as things we feel, we touch. Actually, feelings, okay, feel. Then we have emotions, where we have happiness, sadness, anger, things like that. And then a third category is, is things we believe or how we think, all right? So I would put joy in this category of how we think or what we believe, a belief statement. Now, some of the language gets crossed over too often in, in our, our language today. So, for example, someone will say, um, I, I feel like this verse is saying, if you're talking about it in a Bible study setting, well, that's not, it's not really a feeling, is it, as we're defining? it, it It's a belief, it's that third category, it's a belief, I believe this verse is saying, I, I think this verse is saying, right? Or someone might say, oh, I was talking with Pastor Ben after that sermon, and, and I just felt so awkward talking to him. Well, that, that's not really a feeling, is it? It's, it's a belief statement. I believe that it was awkward talking with Pastor Ben. Or someone else might say, well, I, I feel like talking to Ben is a great great happiness. It brings me great joy to have talk with Pastor Ben. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's not a feeling either, is it? It's, it's a belief. I, I believe talking with Ben is great. And I, well, I believe talking with Ben is, is not great. It's a belief. And so we're, we're, let me give you these categories. I think that's going to help us as we define what joy is. What joy is. I found this definition of of joy. One good definition says this. The deep down confidence. That God is in control of everything. For the believers good. And his own glory. And thus all is well. No matter what the circumstances. Let me read that again. The deep down confidence that God is in control. Of everything for the believers good. And his own glory. And thus all is well. No matter what the circumstances. I believe that Definition right there describes a surrendered life. The life that is surrendered to Christ. Let's look at it. The deep down confidence. Now what is that? Is that a feeling? Is that an emotion? No, that's a belief. I believe. I am confident in what? That God is in control of everything. Thus making me in control of nothing. I'm in control of nothing. And God is in control of everything. Praise the Lord. For the believer's good... And his own glory. Now, oftentimes that good is my sanctification. So we're going through a trial and look around and say, How can any of this be good? Well, circumstantially, nothing good may be happening, but in my heart, I'm becoming more like Christ. I'm learning, I'm seeing God more clearly through his word. Sometimes that good is just our sanctification, just our sanctification. It's our sanctification, all right? That's a great thing. So it's for our good and for his own glory. Thus, all is well, no matter what the circumstances. That is a true picture of surrender, isn't it? The tense of the verb rejoice here in verse 4 is the present imperative, meaning a continual practice. Always be doing it. It's habitual. We're always rejoicing in the Lord. Now, I think because of that, um, I, I believe, some, some commentaries would say that rejoicing the Lord always is, is one of several virtues listed in this, in verses 4 through 7. But I, I think because of this fully surrendered mindset of rejoicing the Lord always, is that it's the umbrella of which all the other virtues come. So if we look back at verse 5 now, if one is surrendered, if one is, is rejoicing the Lord always, look at verse 5, your reasonableness will be known to everyone. You'll have this this joy and and surrendered life that your reasonableness, or or some translations say, you'll have a gentle, gracious spirit to all. Isn't that something we long for? To have a gracious, gentle spirit to all. So if one is surrendered, they'll have reasonableness. Look at the second half of verse 5. As one is surrendered, the Lord is at hand. They'll know that God is near. Look at verse 6. If one is surrendered, they will not be anxious about anything. So think of something you're anxious about. Okay, now some of you will say, oh, Pastor Ben, I'm, I'm so laid back. I'm not anxious about anything. Um, well, tomorrow, let's say you find out you have cancer. Okay. What are you anxious about? Or what could you be anxious about? John MacArthur says this of anxiety. It's both a violation of scripture and totally unnecessary. Think about how much anxiety pervades our lives this pastor makes a strong statement. It's both a violation of Scripture and totally unnecessary. How could he say that? Well, first we just look back at the Scripture. We see it's a violation. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Anything. From the major traumas of life to the small mundane things of life. Do not be anxious about anything. And he says it's totally unnecessary. Well, what's the very definition of the word anxiety? Undue concern. Undue concern. It's not due concern. It's undue concern. It should not be a concern. Anxiety has no place in the believer's life. Where does that anxiety come from? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? It's a belief, a wrong belief of who God is. We have anxiety. We have worry in our life because we don't believe God is who he says he is. We don't believe God is good and he offers good to those that love him. And so we have anxiety. It's a faulty belief. That by his grace, he can change in our hearts. So if one is surrendered, they won't be anxious for anything. Look at the second half of verse 6. If one is surrendered in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be known to God. So we pray. We have this attitude of worship. We bring our supplications or our petitions to the Lord as an expression of need, praying for the things that we need. We have thanksgiving, recognizing that all that God gives to us is is good. So we're surrendered. And look at verse 7. If one is surrendered, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So once one has made peace with God by placing their faith in Christ alone for their salvation, that his death on the cross was sufficient completely, 100% able to forgive 100% of your sins, you have peace with God. Then you can have the peace of God. As you live your life, it's beyond human understanding. That peace guards. That's a military term. It guards our hearts and minds. What a blessing of the surrendered life. So have you found yourself not fully surrendering? Now as I was preparing for the sermon, I saw someone had um, tweeted this on our Bethany Community uh, Twitter account. We say we trust God, but do we really? 100%. Do we think God has forgotten us? Sometimes he is merely giving us time to understand what he already knows is best for us. Pray that you will trust our Heavenly Father and be willing to accept answers according to his will. Great illustration of the surrendered life. Let me give you another illustration. Some of you know we have a dog. Her name's Lexi. Uh, She's a seven-pound toy fox terrier. Some of you call that a rat. That's not a rat. It's an actual dog, okay? She hates to have her nails clipped to the point where as I try to do that, she's biting at the nail clippers. I actually have to wear gloves when I do this because she bites my hands as she does that why is she doing that she believes that she has a greater path towards joy in her life that is separate from a loving caring authority figure who rules and reigns over her her problem is her theology right her theology is that i can find happiness outside of this loving caring uh, authority authority figure who reigns over me and i have to exude my authority over her and show her that no greater joy comes from me And we laugh at that, but I'm no different than Lexi. Are you much different than Lexi? I think I can find, I think we can, we think we can find a greater path towards joy in life. And so we shake our fist at God and say, no God, I'm going to find the way, leave me alone. Meanwhile, God is saying, no, I have the path of greater joy, surrender yourself fully. Just like Lexi needs to fully surrender herself to me, we need to surrender ourselves to the Lord. You know, there's that A.W. Tozer quote, and some of you know this already, and I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly, but what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. You know, when when I'm counseling people, just talking about God's word, discipling people, one of the focuses I make is to help them to have a right view of who God is. So we go to the scripture and say, okay, this is who God is. So in light of who God is, then, how do you interpret your circumstances around you? Because oftentimes we respond poorly to our circumstances around us because we don't believe God is who he says he is through his word. What is this God like? And is he worthy of surrendering to this God who sent his son to die on the cross so that my sins could be 100% forgiven, giving me eternal life so I can be in heaven forever? Is that a God worth surrendering to? This God who changed my identity. I was a child of wrath. He put his son Christ in the way of that wrath and now I'm a child of God. I have forever to live out that identity as a child of God, not a stepchild, not a cousin, not that crazy uncle at Christmas, but I am a child of God. Praise the Lord. Is that a God worth surrendering to? And meanwhile, we scurry around looking for this temporary happiness. God, I can find it my own way. I can find it my own way. And God is saying, just surrender. Surrender yourself to me. That is where you will find joy. And we look for joy in some of those temporal, circumstantial things. Let me ask you this. Has anybody been asked, how was your Christmas? Anybody asked that? Or how was your New Year's? Anybody get asked that, right? When you were asked that, what did you do? I'm guessing you were cycling through the circumstances of your Christmas holiday. You were cycling through the circumstances of your New Year's thinking, okay, was it a good one or was it a bad one? Okay, yeah, it was good. It was good. Or, or maybe, you know, we can put on our plastic faces and it was really bad and we still just say, oh, it was good. Right? Well, can I just offer us a better answer to that question in light of Scripture here? It was full of joy. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? It was full of joy. You know what? No matter what my circumstances were, some were bad and, and some were good, I had a joy-filled Christmas because I know whatever happened to me was for my good and for God's glory. So what else can I experience but joy? It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. I believe that God, I am confident that God is sovereign over my holiday. And I, I trust in him that it was for my good and for his glory. So I surrender all to him. The person that says that believes Psalm 8411 that says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Is that just talking about circumstantial things? I don't believe so. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we can ask God to, to search our hearts and reveal to us what areas of our lives are we not surrendering to. Maybe you need first need to experience peace with God. Now in a room this big, I don't suppose that every person in this room has made a decision to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord, but what a way to start your new year to experience new life in Christ, to receive that free gift of salvation. Let me encourage you to talk with me afterwards, talk with someone who invited you or someone nearby you, someone up on the stage. We would love to talk to you more about that. But we need to experience first that peace with God, and then we can experience the peace of God as we live out our daily lives. So that is the first non-secret, to surrender ourselves fully to Christ. Let's go to the second non-secret. A second non-secret is to saturate yourself in Christ. To saturate yourself in Christ. Let's read verse 8 and verse 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, let me start my explanation of of this portion of our our passage today by looking at the last four words of verse 8. Now, in the ESV Bible, it's think about these things, meaning evaluate these things, consider these things, ponder these things. See, Christianity is not a dumb man's religion, it's not a religion for fools, it's a thinking man's religion. The Bible tells us to think. In in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For a man thinks within himself, so is he. We are to think. We need to take some time to think and dwell on and saturate ourselves with these virtues listed in verse 8. So look back at those, right? Think on whatever is true. Consider the scriptures. Consider the truths of the Bible. Think on whatever is honorable. Things that are revered. Things that are held in awe. Think on whatever is just, things that are are right and, and righteous. Think on whatever is pure, things that are holy, undefiled, moral things. Think on whatever is lovely, things that are pleasing and sweet to the Lord. Think on whatever is commendable, things that are highly regarded and well thought of. There is much to think about, believer. What joy there is in saturating ourselves in these things. Think of Romans 11, verse 33, it starts, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The depths of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How searchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who, can, who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See that, that rising action you see as Paul writes. Oh, the depth of who God is. Praise the Lord. The saturation continues as, as Paul keeps writing in Philippians. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, there is joy in surrendering and saturating yourself with God's commands. Paul saying, all those things you saw me do, all those things you heard me say, all of those things, do all of them. Does he say that to kind of load them down with this burdensome, legalistic list of rules to do? No, he says, do all these things because there's so much more joy in obeying God's commands than you're ever going to find in the fleeting ple- pleasures of life. So do all of them. Saturate yourself with all the commands that helps us to live out who we are, live out our purpose. Think about the sponge that's at your sink right now. And you took that sponge and you just dipped a, just a really small corner of that sponge in the water um, to help you clean off your table. What's that sponge going to say to you? Hey, what are you doing? You don't understand. There's so much. You should saturate me more. Uh, then I can be used for my full purpose. Don't just dip my toe in the water. Get me f- fully invested in the water. Help me be saturated in this water so I can do what I'm lived out to do. Now, let me give you another illustration. My, my wife, she's an internal processor. As you could probably tell, I'm a person who thinks as I talk. And so that gets me in a lot of trouble. I'll be thinking and talking, and all of a sudden, blah, 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 bad stuff comes out. Uh, but my wife, she, she ponders, she considers. She doesn't talk. She just ponders and considers things before she speaks. And it makes for wonderful conversations in our household. I, I like to tease her. And you know those old uh, computers where they have the you know, processing and the little lines moving across? So I'll ask her a question, and she's pondering, and I'm waiting there. I'll just kind of do this. She really enjoys it when I do it. She really loves it. But I love that about her, that she ponders, she considers the truths of God's word before she, before she speaks. Let me give you another illustration here. I first saw this picture as I was at the Biblical Counseling Conference in Lafayette, Indiana, a couple of Februarys ago. And we're going again this February. We'd love to have you join us. But the conference takes place in a church that has a school attached to it, we're going to the second grade classroom. And there's a bunch of these on the wall. And it's for those in the back, you might have trouble seeing it. There's a steam engine. Uh, coal car and two train cars and I asked one of the people there uh, at that church what, what did this mean because the, it said on the, the engine it said think it and then on the train cars it said do it and then it said feel it and it had um, a coal car here that said God's word and the person explained to me well we're trying to teach our kids that as you ponder life or life's circumstances come about you you are to think Using God's word. So the coal car is what feeds the steam engine. It's God's word that feeds our thinking. Right? And it should be God's word is, is sufficient enough to feed our thinking. What else would we need? Would an ever present, always loving Father give us a book that's kinda eighty five percent there? You know, hey, I'm gonna give you the Bible. It's about eighty five percent or so what you need, the rest of it, good luck. That's not the God that I worship. The God that I worship says, let me give you an all-sufficient word that can feed your thinking for all you need in life. So you think about God's word, and then you do it. And then you let the emotions come. So we think about God's word, we do it, and then it's not feelings. It, it is emotions. We let our emotions come. Because sometimes we, you know, I'm, so, I'm just so sad, I don't want to read God's word. Or, or I'm, I'm so angry, I don't want to pray. Well, think about God's word. Don't let the emotions come up front and lead your life. That's a dangerous path for all of us, isn't it? Think about God's word. Do God's word. Is that Philippians 4, 8 and 9? Think about these things. All the things you've heard me say and do and live for you, do those things and let the emotions come. And I'm guessing those emotions are going to be good emotions and hopefully point us towards the belief of joy. That we can find joy in God. I'm not listing off a bunch of things for you to do in your new year. What I'm really talking about is complete heart change. I mean total surrender. Saturating yourself completely like the sponge in the water. I want to think about God's word. I want to do it. And I'll let my emotions come after that. So that is the second non-secret. To saturate yourself in Christ. Let's go to the third non-secret. It's to situate yourself with Christ. To situate yourself with Christ. Now I know you're thinking, wait, my Bible has a little cutoff there. How dare you go into that next passage? I I think this is a part of it. Let's read 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but, but but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and... I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we look back at verse 10, um, and we recognize that Paul's saying, um, you, you had a concern for me. Well, Paul helped plant the Philippian church about 10 years prior to the writing of the book of Philippians. And so here he is 10 years later. Um, he had planted the church. And they had sent him off to plant more churches and, and helped support him financially as, as they did that, as he, he went off to plant more churches. And then there was this time period where they had a concern for him, but they were not able to give towards his ministry. We don't know why, but it says he, they had no opportunity here. In verse 18, then, a little further on, it says that Epaphroditus was able to give a gift to Paul from the Philippian church. And, and so he's thankful for that. But look at verse 11. I'm not speaking of being in need, just so you know. I, I am content of, of where I am right now. And that's not a, a circumstantial contentedness, is it? Because we can tend to think of I'm content because everything's happy, my emotions are in check. I'm not, in cont- I'm not content when my emotions aren't, when I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I, I don't like how life is going. But Paul wants them to know that he has a belief that he can be content. Meaning, having enough. He knows what it means to be, be low, to abound, to have plenty of hunger, abundance, and need. And we need to remember the person writing this. Because immediately after Paul was converted uh, in Acts 9, he wanted to preach the gospel, but the Jews in Damascus wanted to kill him. He was forced to flee in Acts 14 as an attempt to, was made to stone Paul in Acts 17. Not one, but two riots came up against him. Later on in Acts 17, Paul was mocked and ridiculed by Greek philosophers. In Acts 18 and 19, he faced both Jewish and Gentile opposition. In Acts 20, he was forced to change his travel plans because of a Jewish plot to end his life. In Acts 21, Paul was savagely beaten by a mob of people and then arrested. In Acts 23, it was a plot to kill Paul that was discovered while he was in custody in Jerusalem, prompting the Roman commander to send him under heavy guard to the governor of Caesarea, to Felix. And after his case was dragged out for two years, Paul appealed to Rome, was shipwrecked along the way. And he arrived in Rome and waited another two years for his case to be heard. And it's during that two years that he wrote the book of Philippians. Can you imagine the scars on his body as he's writing this? You know, um, in 2015, I'm going to turn 40 years old. Now some of you are thinking, "Ah, what a spring chicken, what a youthful looking young man. Some of you are thinking, that's an old geezer, right? Depending on your perspective. And, you know, I I can feel 40. I've run since I was in junior high, so my knees are telling me to stop. And I've got a a bad back that someone has to crack almost monthly now. But I think about Paul writing the book of Philippians here. He's thinking, oh, man, my shoulder hurts. when I got slammed against that wall when that mob attacked me. I wish I could stretch my back, but the scars are so tight on my back, I can't even stretch out my back. And I'm content. Who's the hero of this story? It's not Paul. It's God. He's content. There's no greater joy than to be situated with Christ. Paul is content. Christ would give him strength in all his circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That does not mean you can score five touchdowns in a football game. It does not mean you can dunk a basketball. That's how that verse is often used. It means I can do all things. I can persevere through anything of life. I can be content in everything because of Christ. He has made me content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As one situates himself with Christ, one is content. Now, it's interesting, as you read the book of Philippians, you don't see Paul calling the Philippian church out on any wrongdoing. There's other books or letters that Paul wrote that are now books of our Bible that he wrote to churches where you see, like in Corinthians, for example, calling the Corinthian church out on some heresy and some things that we're struggling with. You don't see that here in the book of Philippians. You you see really a church that seemingly is doing well, that is experiencing plenty. Versus Paul, who is in great need, in house arrest himself. So, why does Paul say to this church that's seemingly doing well, rejoice in the Lord always? Be content. Think on these things. Why does he say this? Well, I think what he's saying to the Philippian church is don't be complacent, don't, don't think you've arrived. Continually situate yourself with me, with the Lord. I can remember a time uh, in my family's life, we were going through something pretty, pretty major in our life. And, and I cried out to the Lord, Lord, change this situation. I, I went down to Detwaller Park and I, I, I literally cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, would you just change the situation? And you know, he, he, uh, he changed something, but it wasn't the situation. <laughs> he changed my heart. It took time to get through this stubborn heart, but he changed my heart. He changed my family's heart. And I know because of this, this thing in our family, my family knows God more clearly. We understand him better. We recognize his grace more fully in our lives because of this hard situation. We continually need to be challenged to situate ourselves with God. It goes along with surrendering and saturating, doesn't it? As believers, we are called to situate ourselves with Christ so that in every circumstance we find ourselves in We don't have to scurry around looking for temporary happiness. We don't have to look around for secret methods to cope and deal with things. Only Christ can lead us to joy. So as we look to to Christ and surrender and saturate ourselves with him, we'll more clearly be able to see him in every situation. So we will find joy. It's not a secret, right? So Paul mentions it as a secret in this passage, but I, I think he's showing us that there is a clear path here. I learned the secret. it's no longer a secret to us as believers, the pathway to joy. Our Bible proclaims it clearly to us. Now, sometimes we have to, to fight for joy, don't we, in the midst of the circumstances? Uh, let me read you a, a text message I got this morning from Pastor Daniel, our, our senior pastor. He texted me at, at 6.49 this morning. He knew I'd be almost here at Five Points, and he said, Praying for you this morning. And, and here's my response. Thanks, man. I just banged my head on the back door of my car. That literally did happen. Um, And I'm fighting for joy to apply my own sermon right now. (laughs) I didn't want him to worry that I was passed out on the concrete. So I said the head bump was not major. And his response, it sounds like you remember your main point, so that's a good sign. (laughs) It's a good thing, right? The the head trauma wasn't too much. Well, we we do need to to fight for this joy, don't we? In, In the midst of the circumstances around us, we need to continually remind ourselves that we can fight for joy. When I was a, a student at Illinois State University, I had a friend named Rick. And Rick was this 6'5 dude, skinny, bone skinny guy. And he just loved the Lord. He loved what God had done in his life through Christ and just loved the Lord. And he, he taught me uh, a, a, children, a Christian children's song. Um, maybe some of you know it. Um, rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Anybody know that? Rejo- I'm like the only Christian on earth that doesn't know this song. Before college, um, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say, "Rejoice." You do it twice, and then you go, "Rejoice, rejoice!" Again, I say, "Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice!" Again, I say, "Rejoice." And you sing it again. Rejoice! In, it's like one of those songs that never ends. You can just keep singing it. Right? And imagine I'm walking on the quad with Rick, and he just starts mumbling, "Rejoice in the Lord," always. and then he just starts walking faster. And then the six-five guy is skipping down the quad loud as anything, with all these students around. There's, what, 20,000 students on this campus singing that song on top of his lungs. And so I joined him. Why not, right? And every time Rick and I were on the quad, most of the time we were on the quad, we would just start singing that song together and skipping up and down the quad. So as we end our sermon, I want to do this. I want to sing that song together. Because for the kids in the room, kids, I want you to know that you can rejoice in the Lord Always. If today you don't get as much screen time that you wanted, you can rejoice. If that person keeps bullying you at school, you can rejoice. If life's not going the way you want it to, you can rejoice. For you adults, if life isn't going the way you want it to, we can rejoice. Why? Because we can be confident. We can be confident. There's a sovereign God who loves and cares for us. And he's doing everything. All the circumstances in life are for our good and for his glory. So we know that all is well. So I, I asked Pastor Mike if you'd come out and help me. Because the best way to do this is in the round when you sing this song. You've done that before, right? Have you sung this before? And so um, this side of the room, you follow me. Okay, we're going to do this. You ready? I need your help here. This side of the room, go with the worship pastor. You're much more, better led in this <laughs> song than I am, than this side of the room. So sorry, guys. Um, but let's sing that together. Um, and and I, my hope in singing it um, is that it'll get stuck in our head like my buddy, Rick that it would just be, be stuck in your head and that this week as you go through life and those the, the pressures of life push in on you You'll sing this song um, As as you go through life. All right, so let's sing that song uh, I'll pray and then I think we'll have a closing song with the worship team. Okay, so you ready guys Rejoice in the lord always again. I say rejoice rejoice in the lord always again. I say rejoice 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 again. I say rejoice Rejoice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you desperately to help us to rejoice in you always. God, may we define our new year not by our emotions or by what we feel around us, but would we decide, would we think, and would we believe that you are a sovereign God that loves us and cares for us, and that everything that happens in our life is for our good and for your glory, and that we can know that all is well because you are who you say you are, and we rejoice in that. We pray all this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.